Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. All right. Welcome back to another show of Around the Coin. Today's guest, Tegan Klein, is the business lead for The Graph, an indexing and query protocol. They're basically Google for the blockchain, as she describes it. We have on the show our host, Min Kim, who is debuting her first hosted conversation on Around the Coin. So we're super excited to have her on. And all the links will be in the show notes. Today's show is sponsored by Otter Labs, O-T-T-E-R, the cute little furry animal. If you are hiring developers in Argentina uh, or anywhere, really, Otter has developers in Argentina and other countries in South America because they focus on they focus on Argentina because of a similar time zone, the great exchange rate, and amazing talent down there. So regardless of what tech skill you're looking for, check out HireOtter.com and see if they can connect you to some rock-solid developers. Anyways, hope you enjoy the show. And as always, if you could like or share the show, it's a huge help to us. And send us any requests if you think we ought to have any specific people on the show. We'd love hearing from you. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Around the Coin. Today, we have our special guest, Peggy Klein, who is a business lead at The Graph, and I'm super excited to have her. Uh, welcome, Tegan. And I uh, would love to get started just understanding uh, a little more about The Graph and how you got started at the company. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So yeah, The Graph is an, a decentralized indexing and query protocol that's powering many of the applications in DeFi and kind of the broader Web3 ecosystem today. So you can think of The Graph like an open API that makes it easy for developers to build on blockchains. And the analogy that I like to, to use that kind of drives it home for me is really what Google does for the web, the graph does for blockchains. So we make it really easy for developers to access blockchain data and then serve that data to their users. And we've kind of become the backbone of DeFi and the broader Web3 ecosystem. Before the graph, Ethereum was really difficult to use. It was really difficult to build on, really difficult to use. Um, and that was because, and we had this narrative that there are no users in Ethereum. And that was mainly because blockchains are just not created to be easily searched and queried. Um, with the web, there was a ton of great data out there, but it was really difficult to access that data until Google came along. And it's very similar with blockchains. 
And so now we're one of the most used protocols in the space with a community of over 10,000 active developers. Those developers have built over 7,000 different subgraphs. And subgraphs, you can think of like proxies for applications. Some applications can have more than one subgraph, so it's not a direct number, um, but it is a proxy. And those applications are like Aragon, Balancer, Synthetics, Aave, Gnosis, Numeri. Anytime you go to uniswap.info, how Uniswap pulls data from Ethereum is via the graph subgraph. Um, and we've been growing really quickly. So both on the query side, uh, the subgraph side and developer side, each of those is growing between you know 20% and 75% month over month. Um, and yeah, and so we integrate with every level of the stack. So uh, applications and soon layer twos uh, and also soon layer ones. So excited to kind of jump into it. I got started after I left Orchid. Um, I was uh, I met Yaniv, our co-founder, almost three years ago. And he uh, told me about his vision for the graph um, and creating kind of this open data layer that sits on top of blockchains. Um, and, you know, I felt like a lot of the applications that were being launched in the ecosystem just weren't really competitive with centralized applications. And I believe that blockchains are the future of the internet and I want to make sure we get to that future. And so I joined the graph full time um, and kind of leading business uh, for, for uh, the ecosystem. That is super exciting. I, I don't think a lot of people know that the graph is definitely one of the most used protocols in this space. And so um, it's just really interesting to hear that. And I know in crypto, there's obviously developers and there are also traders, right? And the graph token GRT has actually performed super well, obviously. Um, and so tell us more about how GRT fits into the graphs protocol and how the tokenomics are designed to really balance supply and demand. Yeah, absolutely. So the graph is a utility token uh, to be used in the network. And so there are different ways that you can do that. And so there's uh, the three main uh, pieces are indexers. And then the indexers are kind of the most technical in the ecosystem. So those are our node operators. And they're really mm -hmm. kind of the backbone of Web3 because they're indexing all this data uh, that, that lives on the blockchain. And we have over 150 indexers live on, or there are over 150 indexers live on the graph network today. And, um, and then there's delegators. So delegation is also live on the graph network. Delegators mm -hmm. can, it's like one click to delegate. So it's, it's very simple. You don't need any kind of technical knowledge. One thing I will say is it's good to really understand the indexers because each indexer has their own set of economics. And um, delegators are currently earning over 20% APY uh, on the network. So it's, it's quite substantial uh, in the ecosystem. And those delegators really help secure the network. And then you also have uh, curators. Curation hasn't launched yet on the graph network, uh, but will likely be launching in the coming months. And curation, I like to call it open data alpha finders. So um, curators are the folks that really understand uh, the the network and just different subgraphs that are launching. For example, Min, you could create an around the coin subgraph because you know it's permissionless, but so could I. Um, and so, how would the indexers know which subgraph to uh, stake on? They would know that through the curators saying, you know, Min is part of the around the coin team, uh, and so we're going to stake on her subgraph as opposed to Takens because Takens not a part of that team. Um, and so, we need each of these uh, pieces in the network. And each of those pieces kind of earn GRT. And then on the opposite side of this, you have the users, which uh, perform queries in the network. 
and they pay for those queries, or you have the applications that kind of pay on behalf of those users um, for the queries that are done on their applications. And you can kind of think of those costs similar to kind of how gas costs work in Ethereum. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it, it seems like the tokenomics are so well designed and um, definitely a lot of the stakeholders are very incentivized to participate. And so uh, would love to also know just when you were initially just bootstrapping this community, uh, what, what were some unique strategies that you and the graph team used to really uh, kind of come into this mainstream awareness within crypto? Yeah, so the idea of the graph was born about three years ago. Um, and about two years ago, the hosted service uh, was launched. Um, and that was kind of the centralized version of the graph. And so what we did is we offered this technology free to developers and the team went out to uh, hackathons and really worked very, very closely with the developers, the builders in this ecosystem, helping them kind of understand what the graph is used for. Like at this time, developers had to spend almost a year's time building out this infrastructure in a centralized way in-house, which is just like not the best use of their resources or time. So the graph cut down on that time um, and also cut down on costs substantially. Um, so I think just kind of working with developers, iterating for those developers so that, you know, the, the, the product was kind of tailored to developers and that's really kind of how we grew so so quickly. Um, and you know, at the beginning of January 2020, we only had a few hundred queries on on the net, on the service, um, which that grew to one billion queries in June, and then ten billion queries in November. So over the course of last year, we saw over a hundred x growth. Um, and I think that just speaks to the growth on Ethereum and, and IPFS as well. Um, in addition to kind of the, the graph. That's great. Yeah, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of crypto companies, but the way that you succinctly summarize the value proposition as a cost reduction and as a time saving for efficiency, right, for developers, uh, it just makes total sense in terms of ROI and why they want to engage with the graph. So uh, congrats on all the recent traction. Uh, it seems like it's something that people really need within the industry. Thank um, you so, so much. Yeah, of course. Uh, so tell us more. You know, the graph is such a hot project right now. And I, you know, I talk to people at Square and other Uber, other companies that want to enter uh, the blockchain space and join companies like the graph. What advice do you have for these candidates that don't really have formal background in crypto, but are looking to break in? Yeah, I think that there is so much like room and space for that. So right now, you know, the graph we're hiring for about 14 different roles. So would love for everyone to apply there. Um, and also we have the grants program that's open. So you can, you don't need any experience. You can kind of apply there. Um, but I, I know that this space can be kind of daunting, um, especially because the blockchain space is a little bit more technical, but I will, I want to, you know, make it very clear that this space we need we're creating a new economic system a new decentralized internet and we need everyone from all walks of life not just technical folks we need business minded folks people that are great at marketing um people that are you know are great developers of course but that's only one piece of of this very big puzzle um and i would say you know the other advice that I would give is, you know, when I was breaking into the crypto industry, what I did is I would just, I would go to every event, I would take notes at every event, and I would approach speakers at in-person conferences after their talks and ask for their, their business cards and then schedule meetings with them to kind of go 
deep into what they discussed during their presentations. I know that's difficult during COVID world uh, right now, but I think you know there's so much content online. So it's great to just identify the key individuals that you identify with or that have similar values to you, understand, you know, their thought processes, and then reach out to them and, you know, ask them for an educational interview. I would approach um, breaking into the crypto space the same way I, w- I approached investment banking or maybe the same way they approached getting into Uber or Square. Um, very much, you know, understanding the ecosystem, maybe identify five different top companies you really want to work at because you resonate with their missions. And then, you know, design the, your own role. You know, just because you, you can always put, you know, the key characteristics you want for a role online. Um, but it's it's very rare that people kind of check all those boxes. And I think, you know, except crypto kind of teaches you that there's real, like there's no real rules of the universe. There are very few at least. Um, and I would say the, approaching the job market is the same way. You kind of create your own role by chatting to people that that work in those companies that you've identified um, and reaching out to them and just asking, you know, what do they need? What What's missing within their companies? And then maybe working your way up to like the CEO, the project lead level, um, and then kind of pitching them your ideal role. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I think that that advice is spot on. And um, I, I think for you know each startup also, there's a different culture and a different process around how things get done. Would love to hear more about your typical day on the job at The Graph and uh, what most people on the BD marketing side kind of do on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. So the graph culture, I would say, you know, this is one of the best teams I've ever worked with. Um, the kind of the team behind the graph that everyone just brilliant, very driven, um, very hardworking. Everyone wears kind of five different hats, uh, and, you know, just executes really flawlessly, but also, you know, very mission first. Like it's all about kind of the mission. And, and building this decentralized internet and kind of helping Web3 flourish. And so that's something I really appreciate. Um, but a typical, typical day in the job for me, I mean, I focus on all things business. So business development, relationships, um, just kind of chatting to key, key individuals in the, the ecosystem, educating people on um, the graph protocol, um, and just focusing on PR and marketing. Um, so each day is a little bit different. We just had you know a multi-blockchain story that came out that listed the eight other uh, blockchains we are thinking to integrate to. Um, and so you know that was a very hectic day to get that story out. Um, but it was great to see that it was shared across so many ecosystems. Um, and also just kind of chatting to, you know, individuals like project leads and CEOs of, of different projects that have similar values, uh, to the graph. Um, I have meetings back to back almost every day. Um, and so, yeah, so each day is different. I, I think, um, yeah, is a good way to, to sum it up. Got it. Yeah. I mean, this new initiative around the different blockchains you're supporting, it sounds like uh, a huge effort and it, it sounds really, you know, game changing. It's definitely around this whole cross chain narrative. Um, tell us more about your personal opinion around Ethereum and other blockchains, right? Uh, what do you think developers are looking for? And do you think that there are, there is a chance that Ethereum will be disrupted by an ETH killer? 
Yeah, happy to kind of go deep into this. So for me, you know, Ethereum right now is still very much the dominant chain. I think there's about a little over 80% of development is still happening on Ethereum. I think that kind of dominance remains, but I do believe that it is a multi-blockchain future um, and that we'll need kind of different chains for different use cases. And the graph is here to kind of support and enable that multi-blockchain future. You know, wherever the developers go, we want to be. Um, and the graph kind of helps with interoperability on kind of the indexing layer, the indexing and query layer, um, which is kind of a different way than like a Polkadot or a Cosmos views interoperability. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, as, as there's more and more data on different chains and even within Ethereum with sharding, like the graph becomes that much more important in, in a, on a sharded chain because then you have fractions of data all over the place. And it's difficult to identify where that data is without the graph. Um, but I do think that is the big open question right now in the ecosystem is how does scaling happen? Does scaling happen on Ethereum? Does it happen on a layer two? Or does it happen on other blockchains or a combination of the three? Um, and that's yet to be identified, but it, there's so many exciting scaling solutions that are coming out and um, layer twos. So I'm, I'm excited about the future. And I think, you know, I really hate the terminology ETH killer. I think, you know, this ecosystem is still so small compared to the grand scheme of things. And I would love to just kind of, and I think with the graph, we're doing this to help unite the ecosystem so that, you know, we can bring the centralized world onto the decentralized world. And we need every layer one, we need every layer two, we need every application to kind of unite together to, to kind of bring that mission to the forefront. Got it. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that sentiment for sure. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think like the way that you described it, right, it's just definitely this huge open market, right? And we all need to unite together, uh, which is very true. And I think that um, if, if you think about just the graphs, total addressable market, right? Would you say that like there is a possibility to, to just work with every single crypto project out there? Or is there kind of like a focus right now that you guys have like DeFi or NFTs? Yeah, I would say, you know, we're, we're kind of decentralization maximalists. We want to work across anything and like that's decentralized, permissionless and open source. And, um, right now, a lot of the activity. So we're integrated with Ethereum and IPFS. So I would say those are like applications on those two chains are really where the focus is or where the most activity is. Um, and so a lot of applications on Ethereum and IPFS use the graph. Um, but there are some, you know, applications that were created before the graph was born, um, that the community created subgraphs for, but it would be great, you know, to just kind of dive more into those areas, but also other layer twos, other layer ones. Um, and I think really anything that lives in the web three ecosystem, um, is really, you know, a part of, of the graph ecosystem. And so, uh, I would say, yeah, the, the opportunities are quite limitless and I think we're going to pull more and more web two developers into web three now that we have this decentralized infrastructure for them to kind of build on top of. Got it. Okay. Makes a lot of fun. Well, great. Um, so within the graph, right, and the organization, are there any companies or organizations or even people in the space that, that the graph team looks up to or references when, you know, conducting some sort of case study analysis or doing some sort of forecasting or planning? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for the graph, but I, I can speak for myself. I feel like there, you know, there are so many 
amazing people in this ecosystem. When I look at a project or an individual, I really look at, you know, their decentralization, their commitment to open source and their commitment to building permissionless technology so that no one needs to ask permission to use it. Um, and also just kind of incentive structure. I think with what we've seen with Robinhood recently, um, and also the kind of deep platforming, um, it's becoming more and more clear that we need neutral platforms that have the right incentive structures. And I think that that's really what we've focused on building with um, the Graph Protocol. Um, but there are so many wonderful people in this ecosystem. I mean, of course, Vitalik, he has an extremely strong moral code. Um, he's committed to, you know, those three characteristics that I mentioned. Um, and the, the entire team at the Graph, um, everyone's like very driven values first. Um, but especially, you know, you need his belief and perseverance in the decentralized space and Web3, you know, he stuck to his values around that when it wasn't, when, when before decentralization was cool, you know, before Web3 was even a thing. Um, and so I'm really grateful to him for that. Also, I would say like Jane Lippincott from Winklevoss Capital, you know, I've never met anyone with more drive and hustle than, than Jane. And she's just a great individual to, to work with in this ecosystem. Also Vanessa from consensus, kind of bringing her traditional finance language to the ecosystem and and really helping to educate enterprises on crypto, which is not an easy task. <laughs> and then I would also mention Meltem, who's kind of educating the masses on the ecosystem and doing it in a way that's very digestible. So, But there are a million more people. A lot of people in this space are, are really great individuals and, and it's amazing to be surrounded by so many like minds. That's great. Yeah, I, I think a lot of those um, folks you mentioned, uh, I think they probably have Twitter. So maybe we can also link those Twitters um, in, in the bio and description of the podcast um, afterwards so, so they can follow uh, these folks. And also um, you, like, where do you spend most of your time? Is it Clubhouse? Is it Twitter? Um, do you write a blog? Like, how can people continue to follow up and and uh, understand where some of your predictions for the market are are at. Yeah, I'm the Klein Venture on Twitter. I can share all of my social media handles with you so that you can um, paste them in the show notes. Also, just taking Klein on on LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, actually, we're having a DeFi um, clubhouse tomorrow, uh, which will be interesting. I'm trying to get more and more into kind of the DeFi, the DeFi space because it's, it, or sorry, the clubhouse space because it's really seeming to heat up. Amazing, great. So I know that, you know, you mentioned DeFi, right? And everyone is talking about DeFi. Do you think that in 2022, is DeFi still the hot topic? Or do you think that we'll move on to some other craze or trend? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, in 2020, it was very much DeFi boom, this big innovation, decentralizing finance. Um, I think that, that we'll see a lot of a lot more innovation. I think, you know, in 2021, we're already kind of seeing a ramp back up within DeFi. I think we'll see a lot more fixed loans instead of just variable loans. Also, more wrapped assets. Like we see uh, wrapped BTC, which is uh, another emerging trend that we saw um, kind of last year. Uh, also, more like AMMs and like decentralized exchanges with less slippage. Uh, perpetual futures. A, a lot of these DeFi apps will probably move to layer twos. Um, I think we'll see more stablecoin growth, also innovations in governance. Like we haven't established best practices when it comes to governance in this ecosystem. So I think we'll see that kind of come to a more and more like strong footing. 
Also, like we don't yet have the Robinhood or the Bitcoin of crypto. So if anyone listening is interested in kind of building these products, there's so many there's so many exciting things to be built. Right now, trading is super difficult in uh, in crypto. You, have, you go from one centralized exchange to another decentralized exchange and you have your crypto assets all over in you know, 20 different wallets. Um, so we need that Bloomberg of crypto that's like this one-stop shop for trading. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also mm-hmm. think like we will see a big boom in Web3 innovation. You know, Right now, beyond DeFi, we're seeing a lot of innovation in NFTs and gaming. Um, we, you know, three months ago, about 3% of the graph subgraphs were in the NFT space. And last month it was about 12%. So that just speaks to kind of the growth in that space. Um, but Mm -hmm. there's so much more beyond this. You know, we have, we need to flip all of web two or most of web two onto web three. You know, the internet wasn't really created to like monetize our data or sell people ads. And I think the the decentralized ecosystem is really giving people a new place to build without having to kind of partake in that kind of activity. Um, because, you know, you have the token that's peer-to-peer and you have these incentive incentivization structures that work a little bit better. Um, and so mm-hmm. I'm super excited. I'm excited to see more social networks on Web3, more like, you know, music files sharing. I, I think Filecoin has done a great job. And, you know, we just need to move more of that activity onto this space. And I'm excited to see all the innovation. That's great. Yeah, I, I think that NFTs are awesome. Social media, music sharing. Uh, these are all applications that I personally would want to use. And so definitely think that that these are really exciting use cases. And Really excited to see what happens uh, in those verticals too. So I, I think we want to just transition now into more of um, what makes Tegan Tegan because I know uh, you know you have such an amazing persona and personal brand, right? And um, I think a lot of people are curious, right? Um, what motivates you, right? How do you prevent burnout? So would love to just kind of hear more around your personal background, right? And um, just any any fun stories that you have to share around your your crypto journey so far. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I grew up in a small town in Ohio. I really appreciated that small town upbringing, but I knew that if I wanted to kind of pursue a career in finance or or business, I would have to kind of leave that small town comfort zone. And so I accepted a full scholarship uh, to a finance college in New York. I kind of climbed with the ladder, you know, coming from a state school, coming from Ohio. It was it was pretty difficult to get into investment banking. I interned every summer at a different firm. I started at Merrill Lynch uh, my freshman year. Um, I, I basically never went home during college and just interned at many different places to, to build my resume so that, you know, my junior year, I could break into a bulge bracket. Um, and so I did. I joined um, Bank of America and the financial institutions group. So I really kind of saw IPOs, like things in the security market firsthand um, and kind of learned that ecosystem. And then I moved over to sales and trading at Barclays. Um, And so I was there for three years and um, really kind of saw this system inside firsthand. I really enjoyed, you know, the work and because I think that kind of helps with my work ethic, you know, just being involved in investment banking and and these firms. But I, you know, wasn't passionate there. Um, And so when I learned about Ethereum about four and a half years ago, I really saw the opportunity to disrupt finance and kind of create a new system that competes with the one that exists currently. Uh, And now here we are in 2021 doing that, which is, is very exciting. Um, so yeah, I found my passion within the crypto space 
and joined a distributed VPN that was backed by Jason Horowitz and Sequoia. I helped them for quite some time. Um, to I was focused on business development initially and then took on uh, OXT relations um, and, and really focused on business with that company. Took them... Um, through their launch of the token. So really grateful to kind of have been with two protocols through their launches. And uh, not a lot of people get the, the opportunity to do a launch twice. So grateful for that. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, I, I think it's easy to prevent against burnout when you're really mission focused. With Orchid, I was very much helping everyone get equal access to the internet. With the graph, it's very much, you know, helping to uh, decentralize the internet to empower individuals in the ecosystem. And yeah, so that, I guess that's my number one recommendation is just find something that you're really passionate about. And, you know, the opportunities are really limitless. That's great advice. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. Um, crypto is something I'm personally passionate about as well. And I think also being a woman in the space, right, it, it's definitely um, not that common to have um, a, a lot of women in a, in a meeting with other crypto folks. And so it's, it's great that you've just built this personal brand. And um, yeah, I, you know, like this is a, also a really interesting topic around women, right? Because uh, I know there are a lot of workshops for women around salary negotiation, but in crypto, right? Salary is also very um, variable and there there's this token component, right? And so tell us um, if you were kind of like a woman who is entering this space, um, how would you negotiate a comp package around cash and tokens? And, you know, what kind of uh, strategies would you use to, to get that fair compensation? Yeah, I mean, there's so many great books that you can read around negotiation. Basically, you know, you never want to give a number first. You want to kind of stand your ground and let them, uh, the employer, kind of give a number. Because oftentimes what happens is you like, you're kind of playing this game with yourself. Uh, and kind of building slightly up from each position from before. Um, but instead, you know, I think it's important to make sure you understand like the market rate. Uh, and also that I think letting that the company go first in that on that negotiation table just will show their, you know, true colors and, and, you know, how they kind of value you. And then you can always, you know, negotiate up from that number as opposed to kind of giving a lowballing yourself. Um, but I know it's it's scary, right? When you come to the negotiation table, especially when you are new to an industry, um, and so you know, I, I guess each each situation is different. Um, but I would say, you know, that is a, a key component is making sure you know you aren't the first to kind of give a, a number. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. But I think your point is is you know very strong. We need you know creating a new system outside of the one that exists currently, both like in the financial on the financial side and also in the internet side. You know we need all voices from all walks of life. Diversity is so important when it comes to like financial portfolios um, and, or, or genetics. And I think like the the case is no different when it comes to voices at the table. Um, and so, you know, we need everyone to come and, and help us build this new ecosystem. Uh, and if there's anyone who's listening who feels like underrepresented in crypto and you're afraid to kind of break in, please reach out to me. I'm happy to coach you. I'm happy to help you break into this industry. I'm happy to place you. I know everyone across the ecosystem almost. Uh, a lot of people are hiring. So please reach out to me um, because that is something I'm very passionate is, you know, making sure we have diverse voices all across the table. So going off that, you know, 
compensation for women is one thing, but fundraising is also another thing, right? And um, I know there are a lot of founders in the space, not a ton of them are women, um, but I really look up to you, Kagan, in your ability to fundraise. I know you are a huge uh, you know, contributor to the graph fundraise. And so if you were a woman co-founder in crypto right now, what would be a couple of tips that you would give them around fundraising success? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. So, you know, fundraising, it's really just being confident in yourself, being confident in the product. I think, you know, the worst thing that you could do is fundraise for something you don't believe in. And so, you know, the step one is making sure that you believe in what you're fundraising for. Um, and then, you know, step two is just really understanding who do you want around you throughout, you know, the time of your company's life cycle uh, or your project's life cycle. And it's really kind of designing those key individuals that you want to be there supporting you throughout that time. Um, and so my, what I, I think like the best structure is to identify, you know, 10 individuals that are more, um, like key opinion leaders in the ecosystem that you're going out towards. So if that's crypto, identifying like the 10 key opinion leaders, um, that you really admire and have values similar to. Um, and then I would go out to them and I would offer them a small check into what you're building. Um, and so maybe like just like a 10K or 15K check um, to join you. And and I, I, I would say this is like a replacement for advisors. Um, I think, you know, in 2017, we saw a lot of weird activity with people making people advisors and giving them tokens, but those people not really contributing. Um, and I think this is a, a better way to kind of get them values aligned um, with your project. And then from there, you can go to the VCs and raise from them because you can say, you know, hey, I have you know this great product. I would really love your involvement. And I also have, you know, these 10 key opinion leaders that have also supported me. And um, I think that just makes it easier to kind of approach some of these um, venture capital funds and, and family offices. And uh, when you talk to them, I guess it's it's really just about, you know, making sure they see the vision of the company and, 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 you know, what you can do to kind of change the ecosystem. Um, and so really making sure that your pitch is down. Um, and it's less about like the content, I would say, you know, once you get the meeting and uh, getting the meeting is a whole nother topic, obviously soft intros are, are easier than, um, just cold outreach. So leaning on your network to give you like a soft introduction to the, the funds that are values aligned. The other thing is in the, the crypto ecosystem, especially these funds really, they talk to each other. And so if one VC tells you no, most other VCs that they're connected to will know that they told you no. So make sure you go out to the ones that are value lined, the ones that are kind of lower hanging fruit to get that yes, as opposed to you know some that maybe their thesis isn't similar to what you're bringing to them. Um, because each no can impact, you know, can make a big impact just because everyone in this ecosystem is very tight, tight knit. Um, so yeah, I guess that, you know, that, that is kind of the, the beginning of the advice for fundraising. But again, like happy to do a deep dive with anyone listening who is kind of starting a new company and, and looking to fundraise. Um, yeah, happy to kind of be a resource. Love that. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard advice like that before. It's super unique. And so. I love this concept of um, reaching out to 10 people, having them become your biggest advocates, and then kind of uh, crossing the chasm into more institutional money. And uh, yeah, I think it's super wise advice. Thank you. Uh, tell us, yeah. 
bringing some little piece of Silicon Valley. That's one thing I feel like living in San Francisco and just kind of in Silicon Valley, you learn the mm-hmm. game of fundraising. And I, I want sure. to bring that knowledge to yeah. uh, the, the broader globe because this is a really, you know, distributed, you know, this, this space is global. And so I want to bring that knowledge globally. I love that. Yeah. I, I think, I think that you also have very unique experience in that, um, you know, you worked for the Orchid and the Graph, which are two great companies that have amazing backers. And I know that you um, are now involved in investor relations for the Graph and were previously involved with IR for Orchid. So tell us more about how um, you kind of also approach regular investor updates and just truly leveraging the value add that these investors pitch you, right? When they're trying to invest. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's a little bit different in the utility token space because they're more of supporters uh, as opposed to investors and kind of users of the network. But yeah, that it's one thing that's really important is you get you make sure that everyone is really informed. So you can do that by you know monthly open newsletters or you know and as well as like quarterly calls. Your supporters want to hear from you often. They want to hear the updates. They want to know how they can be helpful. Um, and so really kind of leveraging them when you need advice or when you have a strategy you want to think through. Um, they're really there to support you. And, and, you know, some take a more active role than others. And so really understanding that before, you know, approaching these funds or um, individuals is, is good to know, you know, how are they going to help you? Are they going to be, you know, more active in their role as a supporter or are they going to be more passive and they are, are there to just kind of support um, with money and not so much with advice? So I think those are two important things to think about when when approaching supporters. That's great. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that sentiment. And uh, that, that's exactly uh, the mindset that I, that I go in with. Um, when working with investor relations as well. So definitely agree with that. Um, so, you know, you have an amazing career trajectory, Tegan. And um, I know that a lot of people, you know, would definitely want your mentorship um, and kind of like would love to understand how you approach your career. And so uh, what are what do you think are one or two skills that, um, you know, anyone within BD and crypto should develop to really just level up in the next year or two? And uh, what are some things that you personally think are your goals or KPIs uh, for this year? Yeah, I think, you know, not just within business development, but just kind of understanding yourself more broadly, you know, it applies to any role. Uh, I think Ray Dalio says it really well, just kind of understand your strengths and understand your weaknesses. And instead of spending a hundred hours to get a, a incrementally better in your weakness, instead put that time to really developing and honing in on your strengths. Um, and I, I feel like throughout my career, I've kind of bounced to understand like, what are my strengths? What do I enjoy doing? You know, do I want to be sitting and modeling in an investment banking office, not talking to people as an analyst? No, I want to be, you know, out there engaging with um, clients, with individuals on a daily basis on, you know, top minds in the ecosystem. I want to be partnering with them. Um, and so, you know, that is really my skill set is. Um, more on, you know, this side of things, the relationship side of things, as opposed to like sitting and modeling on Excel, you know, that's not something I love doing. And so I could have, you know, stuck it out in, in banking longer, uh, and continued doing that. But I, I understood those, those strengths. Um, and that's kind of why I moved from investment banking to sales and trading because in sales and trading, I was more focused on the client side of things. And now in crypto, I get to 
you know, have relationships with some of the most amazing entrepreneurs in this ecosystem, as well as supporters in this ecosystem. Um, and so just kind of identifying that, you know, this is something I love doing and um, maybe like the analysis isn't something I love doing as well as, you know, tech, you know, I'm not going to be in there coding. I'm going to understand the code enough that I can translate it to the broader web, the broader ecosystem. Um, but I'm not going to learn how to, you know, code um, because it's not the best use of my time. And so I would say those are uh, important things to identify and identify what you like doing. And again, like don't, uh, don't agree to do something that you don't do well or that you don't enjoy doing. Um, and I think w- when you learn to kind of say no to those things, you get incrementally better in your, in your career. Um, so it's really kind of the, bo- the, it's really kind of the power of setting boundaries and, and saying no, uh, which is something, you know, that is a learned skill over time. Definitely. Yeah. I, I totally echo that sentiment. And as someone who is personally non-technical as well, it's been really hard for me to work um, in certain capacities such as developer acquisition for for layer one blockchains. Um, and it's truly impressive to kind of hear you describe the graph in such technical terms. Um, what is your advice around how to get started understanding these technical concepts as someone who comes from a non-technical background? Yeah, I think, you know, you should really start with the Bitcoin and Ethereum white paper. I think just reading those, it's really important, even if you don't understand everything. And then also just kind of watching different YouTube videos, there are a ton of different newsletters, just kind of staying up with the ecosystem and really understanding like what you resonate with. Um, with, with Bitcoin, for me, it was very much, you know, like an anonymous founder, um, truly decentralized. You know, it's one of the few projects that are, you know, truly, truly decentralized. And then also just this competing with central banks, basically like giving central banks some competition, which I think is competition is almost always healthy. Um, and central banks haven't really had it before Bitcoin. Um, and so that some, that those are two things that really resonated to me with, with Bitcoin. And so then I went deeper into what does decentralization mean? What does permissionless tech mean? Um, and just kind of find different areas that you resonate with and learn more about them and then understand like the different projects in the ecosystem. What are their values around decentralization? What are their values around permissionless technology? Um, and I think that that's, that can be really helpful when kind of deciding, you know, where you want to go or what you're really interested in. Amazing. Well, great. I, you know, I know we have a very active group of listeners at Around the Coin. We have uh, 15 to 20,000 people who tune in every month. Uh, what are some things that, that they can assist you or the graph with? Or um, how do you think that, that we could also provide uh, you with increased value for, for 2021? Yeah, well, delegation is live on the Graph Network today. So you can just go to uh, thegraph.com and you can delegate to help secure the network. Um, and right now, delegators are earning over 20% uh, APY for delegating, um, which is pretty substantial. I don't know any savings accounts that pay that kind of interest. Um, and so that's one way you can get involved currently. If you're also, if you're interested in kind of building or doing anything in the graph ecosystem, which is really in the decentralized internet ecosystem, you can apply for a grant. Um, that's a really good way to kind of kickstart you getting started. Like if you're at an Uber or a Lyft or any company, um, but you want to start dabbling in this ecosystem, you can apply for a grant to start a side project that could potentially turn into, you know, a company that you could then raise, uh, a raise, uh, capital for. 
in this ecosystem. And that's really what we want to see. We want to kind of help people kickstart their careers in that way through our grants program, which I can share the link with you, Min, so you can share it in the show notes. Um, And then we also have our jobs page. So if you go to thegraph.com, you can see all of the jobs that are available in the ecosystem if you want to, you know, take take a bigger leap of faith and and join us full time. Great. Awesome. Um, any any last questions that you think that we could have asked or any any last thoughts that you want to share with our listeners? No, this is amazing. You're such a great interviewer. It's been wonderful to be on Around the Coin. And I will share all of those links that I mentioned so that you can share it with the listeners. Sounds great. Thanks so much for making the time, Tegan. It was wonderful having you. And I know our listeners really appreciate the advice you shared today. So uh, thank you again for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Listen, there's a reason the ultra-wealthy have been investing in fine wine for centuries. Historically stable returns and a lack of volatility make it stand out compared to traditional assets, especially during a downturn. But now you can invest alongside with them with Vint. Vint is an SEC-qualified investment platform that offers shares of the most sought-after wines in the world. So join the thousands of investors diversifying with fine wine and spirits. Learn more at VINT.co. For full investment disclosure information and more, visit VINT.co.